Lord, thank you. Thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for these people. I thank you that you have called us together. We're here for you, Jesus. We're here because of you. And so, Lord, I pray and ask right now that your word would transform your people. Lord, that anything of me, anything unimportant would be forgotten and kicked to the side. But Lord, what you have to say to us this morning, would you transform our lives with? Stir us up. Call us out, Lord. Encourage us and put us in the right direction, running straight to you. Ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're picking up in a series called Discipleship. Chris actually preached two messages in this series at the very beginning of this year. The idea of this series is that we would come back to it from time to time as a church, and, and we would maybe look at one or two core principles of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What, is it, what does it mean to follow after Jesus with our lives? What should we look like? What do we value? What's distinctive about it? Today, I get the wonderful privilege of speaking on the topic of generous living. Now, I know that for some of us, if you've been a Christian a long time, and you hear, hey, we're, we're looking at core principles, the basics, you can start to check out, and, and I just want you to know that's not the heart of the series. The heart of the series is that every believer here would be stirred up. That these are basic driving principles from God's word for our lives. And it would mark us as followers of Jesus as a community. And so we hope that this is a highly practical series for you. This message this week and again next week. So let me ask the question, what does a life following Jesus look like? The answer is simply this, a generous life. But what does that look like? And how come it's so hard to do this? Why is it so difficult for us to do the things we know we want to do or should do? Well, before we try to answer any of those questions, I want to introduce you all to a sound I heard a few weeks back. If you guys could go up and cue that sound now. know not what to say in a sermon just play that <laughs> what was that sound yes the nasa sonification department took all the data they had from a system where there was a lot of gas and a very large black hole they found that there's a sound that would be there that our ears would not be able to pick up so they enhanced the sound and took all the details that they could and they approximated what that would actually sound like this is what the sound of a black hole would be like. It's eerie, right? Some have called it the sound of a ghostly space whale. I like that. I'm fascinated by black holes. I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by them, and I won't bore all of us with all the details that I think are interesting, 
but, but let me give a quick explanation of them. Black holes are formed when a star collapses in upon itself. And at the center of a black hole is something called the singularity. A singularity is a point of incredible density and gravitational pull. The gravitational pull at the singularity is so powerful, so strong, that light itself gets pulled into it. It pulls everything into it. And it seems there's no satisfying a black hole. The singularity is what happens when something that is too large gets crammed into a space that's too small for it. And it's never filled. It's, it's a paradox that the more it takes in, the more that goes into the black hole, it doesn't get filled, but it actually gets bigger. It's not like any hole you could dig into the ground because you can never fill it up. What if I told you this morning that such a hole exists in the soul of every human being upon this earth? There have been many descriptions of sin throughout the centuries. Martin Luther coined the Latin phrase homo incurvatus in se, meaning humanity curved in upon itself. Or put it another way for this morning, humanity collapsing in on itself. Augustine spoke about this curving inward in his description of sin, and he points to self-love. We were made to love God above everything else, but in sin, we choose to turn that love inward and into a broken way. We become increasingly turned inwards and become more and more craven. It's no surprise, then, that the two greatest commandments we have in Scripture— is to direct our love outwards. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another as you love yourself. The two greatest commandments are recalling us to unfold our self-love. Why do I bring this up? Because I believe a life of generous living is fundamentally about a heart being bent outwards. So the question we have this morning is how do we uncollapse our hearts? Not only that, not only, not only how do we not have an unsatiable heart that constantly pulls in and is taking and taking and never satisfied, but, but not only not to have that, but how do we have hearts that are so full that they overflow and pour out towards others? Well, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at principles in scripture of what generous living looks like all right we're going to look at several principles of what it looks like and what it doesn't look like and then at the end of the sermon this morning we're going to take those principles together and we're going to bring them together and we're going to look if we can find a solution so our first principle this morning is this generous living is about what you love we're going to be jumping all around in passages this morning, but if you want to write down our main text now, it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. And it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
there's a fundamental assumption built into this text. See, there's a command not to lay up your treasures on earth, but instead in heaven. There's motivation in the implication that nothing can take, corrupt, or destroy your treasure if it's in heaven. But then it gets to the absolute power of these verses. The assumption is this. It's that you will care where your heart is. That's the assumption. Your heart will be where you lay your treasure. Your love and affections will be there. So let me ask this simple question of every single one of us this morning. And I, and I urge you, I guard your heart from hearing a question and just letting it roll over. Take it to heart. Do you know where your heart is this morning? Do you know where your heart is? Well, how can we find out? Well, where have you been laying your treasures? Where's that place? This passage has a context. In a few verses, Jesus teaches that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve money and God at the same time. So treasure is absolutely about our money, but, but I think it would be narrow to stop there. We have many things that we value, many things that we spend, invest, and squander. Yes, we have treasure that's in money, but, but we also have time. We have our talents, our gifts, our abilities, and our spiritual gifts. And we have truth, truth that's been entrusted to us. These are things that we are called to steward. So if you want to know what you love above all else, pay close attention to how you handle these four things. You ever have a moment where truth is inconvenient? Have you ever experienced that? I know I have. You ever, you ever in your job or a place of work, have a moment where you know what the other person needs to hear is the good news of Jesus, but you realize it could be costly in that moment? It could be socially awkward. It could be uncomfortable. And what you choose to do in that moment reveals something about where your heart is. It's what you love. You ever get home from a long day of work? You walk in the front door to hear your child screaming and crying. Not in pain, just screaming and crying. And you feel overwhelmed immediately. You, you feel like it's, it's closing in on you. You, you got home from a long day, and, and they're just near screaming. And in that moment, suddenly you feel your arm yank. And you look down, and your other child is dragging you, and she keeps saying over and over again, Daddy, will you play princess with me? Will you play princess with me? And she doesn't stop to hear the answer. She's dragging you to the princesses. Is that too personal of an example? <laughs> Does that reveal a little bit about my heart? By the way, dads, if you feel overwhelmed in the first 20 seconds in the door, imagine what your wives must feel like if they've been with them all day. I wonder in those moments if the same thought comes to your mind that comes to mine. This is supposed to be my time. This is my time now. I don't want to spend it here. I wanted to spend this time on myself. 
Where is my heart in those moments? What is it that I love? What do our endless sports or school schedules communicate to our kids and to ourselves about what we love? What does going to church two times a month say? What is our spouse supposed to conclude when we have our head buried in our cell phone for the very few hours of the day we actually get to be around each other? Where is your heart this morning? I'll tell you where it is. It's right where you've been laying your time, your treasure, your talents, and the truth. Is your love a self-love that's collapsing in upon itself, or is it a love that's pouring out this morning? Now, we all have limitations. We only have so much money, only so much time, only so many talents, and, and sometimes it can feel like, what's the point? Our little bit wouldn't change anything anyways. But that brings us right to our next principle from Scripture. Generous living isn't about how much you have because God loves to use small things to accomplish big purposes. Time and time again in Scripture, God uses what's weak and small and despised. It's his preferred means. I mean, take a moment to appreciate this. God is the ruler of everything. He has infinite resources at his disposal heaven and earth is his and he could create more resources and he consistently uses weak things to shame the wise and the proud and strong he uses weak people like moses moses immediately when the lord called him said i'm not a very talented man lord i'm not a public speaker And God used him anyways. Or David, a man who was a child when he confronted Goliath. Goliath was bigger than any other man. David, a small man, confronted him. Or Paul. Paul was blinded to the truth and imprisoning the early followers of Jesus. He opposed what was true, but after Jesus confronted him, Paul became so consumed by the truth that he gave the rest of his life to spread it. One of my favorite stories about this is in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus and his disciples are in the temple. They're lounging or sitting there, and Jesus observes this. He says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. You ever feel like you didn't have anything to contribute? That your talents were too small? Or, or ever feel embarrassed by how little you could give financially to something? And, and you're so embarrassed by it that you decide not to give anything at all. That's not how God sees it. God makes much of our little. Praise God that he does. He makes much of our little. Now you may have noticed that I've avoided at this point so far about whether we should give this percentage or this amount monthly. That's because God doesn't tell us exact amounts to give away. 
He doesn't. Instead, we're called to be generous. We love rules. I know it's not cool to say that, but we do. We love rules. All of us would like to think I'm the rebel, the cool rule breaker, but, but deep down, man, we love formulas. We, ha- we love to have it spelled out for us. Principles, they're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable because they, they don't give me the exact parameters, and so I have to wrestle with what is really at the heart of it. Remember, the poor widow gave more than all the rich put together. Their dollars were way more valuable. Whatever amount they put in, it was financially more. But Jesus said that she gave more than all of them because she gave out of her poverty. So what principle can we walk away this morning with? Well, she gave to a point that was uncomfortable. Jesus said it was all that she had to live on. She gave to a point where it hurt, where it was costly. And we're called to do the same not only with our money, but our time, our talents, and the truth that God has entrusted to us. But let me caution with this. For many here this morning, you need to hear that we're called to be generous to the point that it's costly. If you're like me, my propensity is to be stingy. It's to take the things that I have and to spend them on my own comfort and self. And I might give, but, but, but my desire is to give to myself, my time. This is my time. Or, or my money I earned, and I'm going to spend it on myself, my own pleasures. And for some of us this morning, like me, we need to be called out of that. We need to be called out of stinginess into a life that is generous to the point of, of cost. But I, but I also think that there's others in this room. Your bent is towards legalism. Those who find their worth and value not in who God says they are, but in what they do. And how others see them and what they think of them. So there's a real danger in hearing a sermon like this. For many of us, we need to be called out. And you might be hearing what plays into the very worst part of your, your temptation. I just need to serve more. I need to buckle down and do more. I don't care if it hurts. I don't care if it's it's godly. I don't care if it's right. I just need to do more and more and more because I need to be the strongest. It reminds me of Louisa from the Disney movie Encanto. She sings a song called Surface Pressure, which is all about the immense pressure she feels to be the strong one, to never let others down, to be valuable to others. And she sings this absolutely devastating line. This is is insightful to the human heart. She sings, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. If that resonates with you this morning, I want you to know that is not generous living. That's not what I'm preaching about. I'm not calling you to that. That's slavery. It's not a heart that's free to give. It's one that's so enslaved to it that it must. If that resonates with you, I I want you to hear the principles in the sermon, but I want you to know 
when we get to the end, I'm preaching to you too. So don't check out when I say, hey, listen, like, like some of us need to be called to give to a point that's costly. I don't want you then to say, well, I don't have to pay attention now. No, hang in there. Listen to this. But I want you to know we're coming back to this. We're going to address this. So let me ask again, how can we give when we know it's all that we have? How can we give when it's so costly? How can you give to the point that hurts? Well, third principle, generous living is a life lived by faith that already has its heart in eternity. Returning to our main text, we see that we are to lay our treasures where our heart is, in earth or in heaven. Generous living can only happen when our heart is settled in heaven. Why do I say that? Because, because how else can we give to the point that's costly to us? When we live generously, we are placing others over ourselves in a way that actually has teeth to it. It's no longer just our words. See, we're giving time and, and treasure and our talents and truth to someone else that we could be spending on ourselves. It hurts. But it's not a blind generosity. Or as someone might say, it's not a bad investment. Chip Chu is a deeply talented man. Amen? Anyone know Chip Chu here? Amen. Chip Chu is a very talented man. He is a deacon in this church, and he serves as our church administrator. Now, yes, Chip is employed by the church. He has a salary. But did you know that Chip used to have a very, very successful career before he took a job here? Did you know that he used to have an office at the top of a tower in Orlando? Like, there's no more higher to go. He was at the top of the tower. Chip could look out his window in the evening time and take in the landscape, the, the cityscape of Orlando. You know what Chip Chu can see out his office window now? Not that. I went in the other day. He was faithfully working. I just walk in and stare out his window. He can see a fire hydrant. That's what the man has now. The paint's chipping. It's not good. He took his talents, which were recognized by a large and successful business, and he did something very costly. He took a job at this church. He gave up better pay, better benefits, and better stability. You know who else made that decision? It wasn't just Chip. It was Holly. Chip and Holly made a decision, knowing full well that it would be costly, that it would hurt. It would change the type of family vacations they could go on. It would change their retirement plans. It would change their trajectory. And they made it in faith. Wherever I talk to Chip about that decision, and I imagine Holly would do the same. Whenever I talk to Chip, he always circles back around to the same truth. His faith that eternity matters more than the here and now. And can I tell you something? They made a very good investment decision. A very good one. Because Chip and Holly are saying very loudly with their faith, that their hearts are in heaven, not earth. Now, does that mean that everyone should work for the church? No. 
No. No, your careers need you. Your office, your school, your home, your children, your neighbors, your mom's group, your pickleball group, your investment club, Wherever people are around you, they need you there. They need you. What they need is people whose hearts are in heaven, not in earth. They need to see it. They need to be around it. They need to know that people actually make that decision. So what would it look like to live generously where you are? where God has you. I want you to think about that for a second. What would generous living look like this week? You already know some of the things that you're going to be doing. What does it look like to not be stingy with your time, your treasures, the truth that's been entrusted to you, your gifts, your talents? What would it look like not to bend inwards, but to bend outwards to see others and to share of yourself? I trust the Holy Spirit is going to speak to every single one of us. I trust the Holy Spirit is going to show us what that might look like. But I want to warn you this morning. We're talking about real generosity towards other people. It's going to get messy. And eventually you're going to get hurt. Because the fourth principle that we see in Scripture is that generous living is a vulnerable life that's open to pain and love. When we love others, we are opening ourselves up to pain. When you love someone, you enter into relationship with them. You share of yourself. And the more you love the more vulnerable you become. I wonder if anyone can relate to this. Isn't it usually the people we love the most, those who are closest to our hearts, that have the ability to hurt us the deepest? You ever experienced that? I want to take a quick moment to address something, and I'm so grateful that Chris has done this several times from the pulpit. See, when we preach... We don't have time to to build every bridge out, but there's some bridges that we're worth building because we want to make sure that you don't hear something that we're not saying. You are not called to endure domestic abuse. So I'll add my voice clearly to Chris's. If you find yourself trapped in a situation, I'm saying, hey, be vulnerable, be open to pain and love. That's what you're required to do. That's what Scripture's calling you to do. I'm not telling you to stay in a place where you're being abused. That's not generous living. I'm talking about the slights and pains of everyday relationships. I'm talking about the careless words that are hidden within a joke. I'm talking about the someone who told you they were going to make time for you and then they ghost you and never respond. I'm talking about the everyday experiences of relationship with messy, broken people. We've all been hurt by others, and we've all hurt others. 
And I found myself so hurt by others, the words others have said, or the things they've done, that I've despaired of friendships. I've done that before. What's the point to continue friendships in adulthood if we're so easily letting one another down? People move away. People sometimes just pull away. And they never tell you why. And I'm an introvert, introvert by creation. That's how God made me. Sometimes in my lowest moments, I can just pull further and further and further in. And I can start protecting myself. But how can I live a generous life, one that reaches out, if all I do is fold in upon myself? I'm reminded by a wonderful quote, by a, uh, of a wonderful quote from famed British author and professor C.S. Lewis. It's in his book, Four Loves. He says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. If we're going to be marked by generous living, then we must be vulnerable people. Because love is the very heart of this kind of life. Love, relationship with others. But how? How can we unfold our hearts? How can we not only stop collapsing inwards with self-love, but instead have a love that pours forth to others? We, we have all these principles in Scripture, and we say, I want that. I want to do that. I want to believe those things. But how? Well, we first must acknowledge that we need that black hole in our very own souls filled and overflowing. We need to address it. For all of us, whether it's those who are complacent and stingy or those who are like Luisa and Canto feeling enslaved by the immense pressure of performing for others, we need the exact same thing. We have this hole inside of us that keeps taking and taking and taking and it's not getting filled. It's only growing worse. We need some solution. So let's take all these principles that we've looked at on what generous living is and let's bring them all together and look at the life and death of Jesus together. God has all the resources in the world, but when he came to rescue us from our sin, he came as a helpless baby. Do you hear the principles already at work? Take them in your head. Remind yourself of them. Try to spot them. Jesus, coming something small and weak, entered into this world. He was uh, born of a woman. He, he was in a womb. He was birthed. And it wasn't clean. It was like every other birth. But it was in a place like filled with dirt and animals. He was placed 
in a manger, a trough. He lived a quiet life and he walked upon this world overlooked. There was nothing to draw our attention to Jesus. He loved his Father in heaven above all else and throughout his entire life loved others. He is the perfect picture of one who poured out love. His heart wasn't bent inwards on itself, but it reached out to all of those around him, so much so that he would see people that everyone else overlooked. The leopards that are outcasts crying out from the edge of the city, Jesus goes to them. The woman at the well, Jesus speaks to her. The woman cast at her feet, caught in adultery, Jesus forgives her. He sees and rushes to those who are overlooked. His love was continuously bent outwards to others. Jesus was poor in his life, but that we find that he was generous with his times, his talent, truth, and treasure. When he saw crowds of people, he would have compassion on them and go towards them. He spoke truth even when it made him unpopular. And he gave life to those who felt rejected by all. Although he is the king of the world, when he was going into his city, Jerusalem, he came riding on a donkey, lowly donkey. When Jesus prayed the night before he was betrayed, he showed exactly where his heart was. Was it on earth or was it in heaven? He made it clear when he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He was betrayed. He was vulnerable. In fact, Jesus left a completely safe space. He was in the presence of the Father, and he left there to come to earth. He was fully known and fully loved. Jesus was in the presence of the Father where he wanted to be. Everyone knew him there and loved and worshipped him, and he left that place and came to a place where the very people who should recognize him rejected and despised him. And reviled him. He was betrayed. All of his friends abandoned him. They fled him. And he was left alone to face the abuse and the mockery of a mock trial. Jesus hanging on the cross was the most vulnerable moment in all of history. It was the most vulnerable moment in all of history. He was emotionally, physically, and spiritually vulnerable. And because of that vulnerability, he experienced unbelievable pain. As Jesus' hands were stretched out on the cross, his body took the posture that his heart had always been, one that was reaching outwards to others. The Romans thought it was a little thing, just another execution. But this small moment in time, God was upending all of history and changing the fate of countless peoples. Jesus shed his blood on that cross. It must have seemed gory, but small to those who witnessed it that day. Blood dripping down the body of a man, down his legs and to his feet trickling down the wooden beam and pulling upon the ground. That blood was small, but it was enough to cover the sins of countless men and women. 
And that blood is still flowing to this day as it washes people white as snow. The fount that was opened at the cross of Christ has become the source of hope for centuries and will continue to ransom men and women until his blessed return. And as he died, his lifeless body taken down and placed into a tomb, a cave, a hole in the wall. That hole was just a symbol of the hole of death that Jesus just entered. An insatiable black hole that we opened up when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. Death, the hole that's been taking and taking and taking ever since. The hole that gives our children cancer and robs loved ones from us. Ones that gravity is so strong, no one can ever escape it. And it's in that hole that Jesus laid. He laid in the black hole of death for three days. And when his heart began to beat again, and resurrection power was displayed, Jesus walked away from that tomb and he ripped death inside out. He conquered death and he poured out new life. How generous is our Jesus? He ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit into the church so that she too can be generous and pour out to others. And in that moment, Jesus filled the black hole of our souls. What could only be collapsed in upon itself was suddenly overflowing towards others. What was only bent inwards can now bend out. A generous life is the one that flows from the generous life of Jesus himself. You will not be able to love others unless you are in love with him. Now the world can imitate it. There can be extremely generous moments from those who have no love of Christ at all. But it's despite themselves. It's, it's common grace. To truly have a generous life, what we're after as followers of Jesus is one that bubbles forth and, and pours out of a heart that is so full it cannot help but overflow. It's only when Jesus is at the center of our lives that we can agree with Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For the stingy and the legalist, what we need is Christ who lives in us. We live this life in faith, faith in the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. We need to have Jesus at the center of our lives and treasure him so deeply and so fully that he fills everything and it overflows in our lives. 
For those who are stingy and bent towards that way like myself, we don't need to keep spending what God entrusts to us on ourselves. We can give freely because we know we're secure in heaven. That's where our heart is going to be because our treasure, Jesus, has purchased it for us. So we can give the small of our life and expect that God will do great things, abundant things. And for the legalists, those who look to others to fill that hole, you can rest in your identity and what Jesus declares over you this morning. You are a child of God. He has ransomed you. And he wants to fill and overflow in your life. I know, I'm speaking up here. I, 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 I speak for the leadership team in this. I, and it's not my notes, so they don't get to check it. We don't want the church to be another black hole in your life. It's not a place that sees you as a thing that pulls from you and takes and takes and takes. As pastors, our heart is this, that you would have life and life abundantly. That Christ would overflow in you. And you couldn't help but be generous in the way you live. There's no special offering after the sermon. There's no special request to give. But, but we do have an example right here, right? The, the cynical, like me, I could be like that, could say, well, you did ask for pantry goods at the beginning of the service. Okay, let's take that example. Why? Why do I want that lobby so filled? Why do I want my children to have a memory of walking in church as a kid, looking over and thinking they're in the grocery store? What do I want it to say to them? What do I want to say to us adults when we come in week after week and we look over to that wall and we say, it's starting to get out of hand. What does it say to Christian help and our community? This is what it says. Their hearts are so full. They must be so full that they could give so generously. It could overflow out of them. We don't want to be a black hole. I want to be a place where life is given, a community where we give to one another. The church would be a place where you are filled and further filled, and you just can't help but splash and overflow to others. How do we put this all together in our lives? How do we know how much to give and when? Well, here's the cop-out answer, but it's the right one. The Holy Spirit will lead you in this. See, generous living is a life flowing out of the most generous life. So go to God. Be satisfied in Him. Spend time in His presence and ask Him, Lord, how do you want me to use my time, my treasure, the truth you entrusted to me, my talents? Next week, we're looking exactly how we can go to Jesus. We, we, we will be talking about how we build habits in our lives to grow in love with Jesus, how we can place ourselves in the way of grace that we might be changed. And I hope it will be incredibly practical and exciting, not only for someone who's a new believer, but for those who've been believers longer than I've been alive. I hope it starts conversations in this church of people sharing about their prayer lives, about reading scripture, memorization, fasting. I hope it shares a life of people who are abundantly feasting at the table of Jesus together. But this week, I want to challenge you. 
Look at where your heart is. What is it that you love? In what areas do you feel the greatest pressure to fold in upon yourself? And what would happen if you were to pursue this area in your life? If you were to make it your aim to live a generous life flowing from the life of Jesus himself? Often we're blind to the areas that we are prone to be stingy, so why not ask some of the closest people in your life about your own heart? We're so accustomed to asking what could go wrong, but, but what could go right this week? What could go right this week if you asked your spouse, your children, or your friends, where do you see me being stingy? Be vulnerable. What would happen to this church if we all intentionally pursued living generously? If we all not content to be stagnant, examined where we squander and hoard our treasure? I think God would take the little that's here and he would do great things. So church, let's put it into practice right now. Let's sing worship to Jesus. Let's treasure him as an assembly. Let's prize Christ so greatly and let it burst forth from you. As you sing, pray, shout, worship, go to others and minister, pray for one another. As we leave as a church today, Chris is going to give us instructions on how we're celebrating the fall kickoff. Spend time with people. Talk to people. Love on people. Church, let's worship Jesus Christ, the treasure of the church, the treasure of our hearts, and let's be filled this morning as we sing.